Well, good morning again. Um, If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 24. The most important day that ever was. So we have the joy of remembering today together. Today is not Easter Sunday, but as the church, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and ought to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus each and every day of our lives. This morning in our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, we come to the text concerning his resurrection. And so if you would stand, let's read it. If you would follow along as I read, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 24, I'm going to read through verse 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, which is fully displayed, fully realized in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We praise you and we thank you. That this morning we do not serve a God formed with human hands, an idol. We do not serve a God who is dead, but we serve you, the living and true God. And we praise you, we thank you, and we ask you, Lord, that you would be glorified as we look to your word. Please use it in our hearts. Awaken us, Lord more to your greatness in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, this is not necessarily ordinary, but I want to share with you something personal before we get into heading through this text. It has to do with an email that I received recently, and uh, I I do not mean this in any manner or way to boast, but I want to share with you what it said. And here it is. Uh, It has a note at the beginning. If you receive this message in your spam bulk folder, it is because of the restrictions imposed by your mail internet service provider. We urge you to treat it genuinely. It goes to a little bit of of a legal matter, uh, which I'll share briefly with you. A draft of $9,200,000 was approved in your name by the present government, foreign payment and transfer. Federal Ministry of Finance and the International Monetary Fund instructed to send the draft to you as compensation. Lately, one Mr. Robert Smith, a citizen of your country, came into the office and told us that the bearer of the draft was dead, 
some months ago, and he wants the draft reissued in his name as your next of kin. It is a conformable draft in your name, not cash. You can only cash it into money at any bank of your choice worldwide. Therefore, you are advised to reconfirm the below details to affect the delivery of the draft to your address. So praise the Lord. You can imagine my excitement at this promise. Sometimes promises are made that are foolish and empty. There are certain things in this life that are promised to you, to me, or described to us as great inheritances, but they amount to nothing. They're emptiness. They, they mean nothing. It's just an empty promise. But that is not the case with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not the case with the promises of God. And we've seen multiple promises. We've seen promises before the death of Jesus that Jesus says, I will live again. Now that is is an outrageous promise. But it's not an empty promise. It's a promise that God fulfilled in Christ. And then there are promises to come, promises because of his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a promise. It's a verification that you and I have a, an inheritance that is guaranteed. It is not empty. Tim Keller said this, Jesus is living proof that you will miss out on nothing. In other words, the best really is to come for those who take refuge in Jesus because he is alive, he lives. The resurrection assures us of hope that is coming for us. And that hope is what we celebrate in the text this morning. Jesus was crucified. As we finished chapter 23, we saw that he was laid in a tomb. Saturday, the Sabbath comes. All are resting. Some are fretting. And we come to chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. On Sunday morning, early in the morning, the women arise to go to the tomb. Women who, in the previous text, we had seen, had prepared to anoint the body of Jesus. And they go prepared. They go early in the morning to the tomb, prepared for death. They're expecting death. The greatest and most joy-filled day in all of human history began with women who were deeply sorrowful. They go to a grave to find the body of the Lord Jesus. They bring spices and ointments that they had prepared to anoint his body. But it tells us in verses 2 and 3, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they get to the tomb, the stone is moved out of the way of the opening of the tomb. 
Now, Mark's gospel tells us that on the way to the tomb, the women were discussing how they were going to get the stone moved, how they were actually going to get in to the body to anoint Jesus' dead body. But they arrive and find that it's already rolled away. And so they go in, still expecting death. And they enter the tomb, looking to find Jesus' dead body lying there. But they don't. When they enter, it says, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb was empty. Such a significant phrase for us. Our blessed hope as believers, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, his body was not there. If we were to to look at the the accounts in the Gospels and look at the accounts of the eyewitnesses who, who said we saw the Lord after he had died and after he was raised... We cannot just say, well, these were aberrations. They were, they were just his spirit that appeared to them. We can't say that because of these words. What happened to his body? His body is gone. These women who knew where the body was laid, we know that from verse 55, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They knew where they were going. They knew where his body had been laid. And it's gone. The tomb is empty. This is our hope. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ means something for us. He rose victoriously. And scripture tells us that we will rise also. Paul so clearly addresses this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is what these women find. His body is not there because God has, just as he promised, raised Christ to life. He's been raised, and so all of the promises are true for those who take refuge in him. That's what Paul is saying. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first of many who died and are raised never to die again. People had died and been raised before Jesus rose from the grave. Lazarus is one of those people. But Lazarus died again. So what Paul is saying is Jesus being raised from the dead is the first fruits. He's the first one of many, many, many more who are in him who will die and rise again and never die again. 
This is our hope. The tomb was empty. These women come and find that his body is gone. And verse 4 says, while they were perplexed, and we can imagine they would be, about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. While they're standing there, two angels appear. We know they're angels because of this expression, dazzling apparel, and accounts from other gospel writers. Luke reports these angels appear in dazzling apparel, the splendor of heaven shining before these women. And what do they say? As they were frightened, and we can understand that, why these women standing before these angels, not knowing where their Lord is, body has gone, they're frightened, and they bow their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? This is so important. What do the angels say to them at first? Why? Do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you here, women? Why are you looking for Jesus here? What are you looking in dead places for Jesus for? Why are you here? The the women who come to the tomb meant well. There's no doubt they desire to honor the Lord. They, they desire to care for his body in his death. They had, we know from Luke's gospel, they had cared for him in his life. They had provided out of their own means to care for the Lord and for the disciples. And now in his death, they still desire to honor their master, their savior, their, their king. And so they have good intentions They meant well, but they were in the wrong. They shouldn't have been looking for Jesus in a graveyard. They shouldn't have been looking for Jesus among those who are dead. That's what the angels are saying to them. Why are you here if you're looking for Jesus? Why are you looking for Jesus, one who is living among the dead? And then they're reminded, it says, of the predictions that Jesus had made to them, the promises that he had made. He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you? This should not be a surprise to you, the angels are saying. Did you remember that Jesus said this would happen in this way? Why are you looking here? You didn't, you didn't believe him. You didn't believe the Lord. Jesus had told them that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and that happened, just as he had said. And Jesus had told them how he would be crucified, and that happened, just as he said. And Jesus had told them that on the third day, this day, he would rise again. Luke 9.22, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
Luke 9.44, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Luke 18, 31 through 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be, will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He had told them. He had told them exactly what would take place, but they didn't believe. They were looking for him in the wrong place. They didn't understand, and they didn't believe it. But now they remember, it says. In verse 6, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. In verse 8, And they remembered his words. That is a wonderful and gracious thing. They remembered. What a blessing to remember. We we together devote a portion of our time each and every week as the body of Christ to remember. We remember as we take the bread and take the cup. That is a blessing for these women to remember. We all sin. They're not in some unique category here because this angel, these angels have to say to them, why are you here? You didn't believe the words of the Lord. They're not in some unique category, right? That's all of us. We're all sinners. We all doubt. But the greatest blessing in the midst of those sinful times, which is our lives, is that we remember that we remember the truth of the gospel. We remember what the Lord has said to us. And these women are blessed, as it says, they remembered his words. And so what do they do? How do they respond? Jesus had warned them many times. In fact, in the upper room, uh, the the upper room discourse that we see in, in John's gospel, it culminates with verse 33 of chapter 16, where Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Well, what things has he told them? That he's leaving them. That he's not going to be with them any longer. And he says to them, I've told you these things that you might have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but Take heart, be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And now they remember, these women remember his words. They begin to understand that Jesus has overcome the world. He had not been talking about this this resurrection that's going to come in the last day. He's talking about this day. As they go to the tomb and find that his body is gone. That he would be bodily raised from the dead. And look how they respond. Verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They respond to this great news and by remembering the truth of the gospel, by going and telling They hadn't really understood or truly believed what Jesus had told them. But as they remember and as they understand, they don't recoil in defeat. As if that keeps them from joyfully 
ministering to others the message of the resurrection. As if that keeps them from joyfully proclaiming the news. They go and they tell others joyfully. And who is it that they go to? They go to the apostles. That's what it says in verses 10 and 11. First in verse 10, Luke identifies some of these women, not all of them. It says this Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. There are others with them. And they run, they go to tell the apostles. Now we would expect as they tell the apostles that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead just as he told us he would, that this is going to break into a great worship service. But that's not what happens. They're met with cynicism, with doubt. Verse 11 tells us that they go and tell the apostles, the 11 apostles, apostles that remain, and that they considered the reports nonsense. How could a man who was clearly dead, friend or not, great teacher or not, how could a man rise from the dead? There's doubt. From the apostles. But it tells us, verse 12, Peter gets up. He, he rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter goes to the tomb. When he looks in, he doesn't find the body. Just like these women, he's, he's astonished. He's marveling what's going on. He does find the linen cloths that had wrapped around Jesus' body. And that's significant. As he looks in and there's linen cloths there, if, if you struggle with the cynicism of the apostles, had Jesus' body been taken away, if robbers or Romans or even the apostles had come and carried away the body as some fake proof that this man was who he claimed to be, the cloths would not have been laying there. And they certainly wouldn't, as John's gospel reports, been folded neatly and left behind. And so Peter goes home marveling, astonished at what he sees, what is going on. But we know. We know what's happening. We see the full story. We know what's taken place here. Jesus is alive. And what a blessed hope. We do not worship a God who is dead. We serve and we love the living God. We believe in Jesus who did die. Not because he was guilty of any sins, not because he had committed any crime, but he died willingly for our sins, punished for sins he had never committed. He died for us on our behalf, but he didn't stay dead. Just as the scriptures tell us here in Luke chapter 24, he was raised from the dead. He lived again and he lives today. And his, his resurrection assures us of hope that is to come for us. 
And so I want to consider some things together as we, as we see them in this text. There are other pieces of the resurrection story that we could look at from other gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, or John that Luke doesn't give to us, but we're going to consider what we learn from Luke. You can, you can go and in your joy read those other accounts as we're approaching Thanksgiving this coming Thursday. What, what better thing do we have to consider and meditate on but the resurrection of Jesus Christ? But as we look to Luke's account and what he tells us about the resurrection, consider these things. A firm belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes a difference in what we do with our lives, in the decisions that we make. The angels had asked the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? In other words, if they had believed Jesus' words, that would have practically affected their day. They would have done different things if they truly believed the words of Jesus. They wouldn't have been among the dead looking for him. They wouldn't have gone to a tomb. They'd have been hope-filled And so consider that in our lives. We, we might ask the angels' questions a different way. We might say this, why do I or why do you live as if Jesus is not raised from the dead? Why do we live in such a way at times that it looks as if we don't think that he is risen from the dead? Too often Christians live practically as if there wasn't a resurrection. Paul addresses that in in 1 Corinthians 15. Such a wonderful text about Jesus living in the hope that is brought to us, is true of us because of that. And he says if, if there wasn't a resurrection, if Jesus were still dead, then our preaching is in vain. It's pointless. Our faith is in vain. It's hopeless. We're found to be misrepresenting God. He tells us there, because we're telling people that that God raised Christ from the dead. If he didn't, then we're misrepresenting God. Our faith is futile, which means it's empty. It's just, it's pointless. We're wasting our time here today if Christ is not raised from the dead. And worse of all, we are still in our sins, Paul says. So if Christ has not been raised, our life is pretty hopeless. And in fact, we still do live in dead places if Christ has not been raised from the dead. We still are dead if Christ has not been raised from the dead. There's no hope for our sins to be forgiven. There's no hope of us having life in Christ. So if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we're hopeless. But what does Paul say? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
And therefore, if we are taking refuge in him, then we are alive in him as well. Just as alive as Christ is alive. Because we are hidden in him, we take refuge in him. So we might ask our question again in this way. Why do you who are alive still live as if you're not? How is it that the resurrection and the truth and believing in the resurrection, how is it that that affected those in our text, specifically the women? The women went and proclaimed. And let me just comment on, on this uh, truth that it is the women who first are made aware of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's an incredibly significant point because no Jewish person, if they were making up a story that they wanted other people to buy into and follow, to believe in, No Jewish person would ever include women as the first eyewitnesses to the most important part of the story. They wouldn't do that. Women couldn't even testify in court. So they wouldn't even include this into the story. And yet the Gospels written in this very culture tell us the truth. No matter how it may be critiqued, no matter how it may come across... It just tells us the truth. The women went to the tomb, and they're first to know that Jesus was raised from the dead, that his words are truth. And how do they respond? They believe that Christ is alive, and they go and proclaim it to others in joy. Not only that, consider the apostles' response. Yes, here we, we see that when they first receive the message that Jesus is alive, they, they consider it nonsense. They're, they're skeptical. But they don't stay that way. Because they become eyewitnesses too. They see the Lord alive too. And it changes everything. These men who were hiding, these men who were, who were afraid, these men who were downcast, these men who were skeptical, these ones that thought it nonsense end up giving their lives, most of them literally being killed, but all of them giving their lives to see that others know that Jesus rose victorious over the grave, the one and only means of salvation for mankind. It changes everything for them. A belief in the resurrection affects how they live, what they do, where they spend their time. In fact, Peter, in his sermon in Acts 2, verse 32, he says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. They knew he was alive, and it affected the direction of their lives. It affected where they went and what they did. They didn't live as if he was still dead. When they thought he was dead, they hid. When they knew he was alive, they went and proclaimed his message. So I would ask us this morning, does your life reflect a risen Lord? Or do you live as if you are still in your sins, if you are, as if you are still dead?
That doesn't mean that you're perfect. But when you recognize your sin, when you remember, as the women remembered, do you run to the one who you know now lives and is your only hope for forgiveness? Do you live in hope, anticipating another resurrection that's to come? Knowing that Christ is the first fruits, that the best is yet to come, that because of the resurrection, our future is certain and, and is unimaginably wonderful. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ, I want to ask another question for you. We could word it this way. Why are you who are dead not turning to the one who is alive? Who is your only hope of salvation? Maybe you have issues with certain things in the Bible. Maybe you have issues with certain things in the church. But I want to quote Tim Keller again. I love how he asks this question, and I would ask it of you. Are you saying that what you don't like about the Bible or the church means that Jesus couldn't have been raised from the dead? And if not, then put those things aside. Because if he was raised, then there is nothing more important for you to consider in your life. I would encourage you, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with him and you'd like to speak with someone or you'd like to go and pray, our prayer room will be opened as we sing in just a moment. Michael and Melanie Gilbert will be there to pray with you. But for those of us who take refuge in Jesus, those of us who know him, those of us who are rescued by him and are so grateful for his resurrection, what a blessing that we can remember this great truth together through the Lord's Supper. That we have the scriptures and we can remember the hope we have because Christ suffered and died, was raised and is coming again. Paul tells us that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's a forward thinking in the Lord's Supper. There's a looking ahead. There's a belief that Christ is alive and that he is coming back. We very much believe the resurrection each and every time we partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. That there's an expression of hope in the one who is alive and is coming again. As you consider the text that we look at today, I imagine that after the angels spoke with these women and they run off, there must have been an unbelievable anticipation as they hoped to see him. I can't imagine. Just the joy and the hope of where is he? We want to see him. And as we take the Lord's Supper together, we ought to prepare our hearts in the same way, with that same kind of anticipation. When will we see the Lord who has risen from the dead? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so good to us, Lord. You're faithful and true. Your promises are true. They never fail. They are not empty. They never fail. And so our hope is in the promise that because Jesus is alive, we too now live. 
If we take refuge in Jesus, we have hope forever and ever. And so we pray that you would help us in this time as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, that we would take it with our hearts anticipating the day when we see you face to face. And that our hope would be in you fully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.